girl, Nicole, and welcome to the Riser's Health Podcast. In this episode, we're jumping right into nutrition, food culture, and our connection with food. Joining me today is expert Alexandra Brown, registered dietitian, licensed dietitian, and she has a master's in science. Alexandra is the founder of Simple Source Nutrition and is so passionate and dedicated to designing tools to make healthy eating simple for everybody. What we put into our bodies plays a super key role in achieving great fitness, overall health, and vitality. So let's get started. Welcome, Alexandra. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. That was a great introduction. Thank you. So I'm so excited to talk to you because um, I met Alexandra on a run, of course, and um, I love her energy. I love her, her Instagram where she talks about nutrition, holistic and integrative. And she's so passionate about what she does. And she also shares like really simple recipes as well. So I'm really excited to welcome Alexandra. So I'm going to ask you, first of all, how you got into nutrition and why? That is a great question. So initially I became interested in nutrition because I really was into sports. So in high school, I played three sports. And so I'm like, okay, I know I'm not going to play sports as an adult. So how do I still stay in the sports industry? And a teacher suggested, why don't you do nutrition? Because not only was I interested in sports, but I was interested in psychology as well. So it was like literally a teacher's idea to marry those two things together. And throughout undergrad, really into nutrition, I majored in sports sciences for a little bit, exercise, phys, and nutrition. And then I really got into community nutrition and just understood more of the health disparities occurring in communities, in um, food insecure communities, in the Black community, Hispanic communities. And I wanted to do something about it. So it slowly transitioned from sports into community nutrition, hence what I do now. And that's how I ended up here. And I really love it. And I'm still interested in sports because community nutrition and sports nutrition still align in some way. But yeah, I really like it. And I'm excited just to get more into holistic and integrative nutrition to really support communities of color. That's fantastic. And as as everyone can see, she has great energy for this. And so like, that's why I'm so excited to talk to her. So you just mentioned holistic and integrative nutrition. What does that mean? And what are the benefits of holistic and integrative nutrition? That is a really, really good question. For those who haven't heard of holistic and integrative nutrition. I mean, the word holistic, when you think about it, includes those aspects of mental, spirituality, emotional, physical health, all the ALs or OLs, you you could say. That's what holistic nutrition really means. The more scientific answer to that is a few things. So when I'm working with a client, I look at several areas. I look at their food, their lifestyle, their overall environment that is affecting why they choose the foods that they choose, maybe some physical signs that they may be having. So if they're having like some inflammation or stress or headaches, that could be directly related to food or it could be related to something else. But that does matter when I am writing out my assessment. And then also biomarkers. So we'll do like different types of labs. So labs really understanding, okay, are you iron deficient? Another thing we look at, too, are just overall systems and pathways that just really affect you on your day to day. And another thing that's included in that is your allergens. So if you're allergic to anything, if you're 
maybe not allergic, but you have like an intolerance to something, your body really doesn't love it. And then when I mentioned environment too, so toxins that may be that you may be exposed to that are affecting your dietary lifestyle. So really looking at that during my assessment so I can make really just an appropriate diagnosis on what I can do for you as a practitioner. And another thing I want to mention too is that it is a journey. It takes time to really get there. So I like for people to look at a holistic nutritionist, kind of like you kind of look at your therapist to an extent because it takes time to be able to want to make those changes. So I'm giving you information and then you have to want to make those changes and it takes time. And then also depending on where you are in your life, it's going to look different. If you're a mother, if you are a single person, if you're just married, say if you were incarcerated and you just got out of incarceration, all of those things are going to look different for you. I like the term nutritional therapist. Like I never even thought of that term, but I like the way that you said it's like being in therapy, but it's for your nutrition. And another yeah. thing you mentioned too are labs and how important those are. I want to kind of just touch on that a little bit. So how would a woman go to her doctor and say, okay, I need my labs. Like what question would you ask your doctor to get your labs done? Yes, that's a good question. So typically when people go to the doctor, I know that they outsource a lot of their labs. And I know some things are covered. So say if you're having some signs of diabetes or iron deficiency, your doctor may order those labs specifically for you and they may be covered by insurance. But say if you want to know some vitamin and mineral deficiencies, that's typically something that you have to pay for out of pocket. So those aren't usually covered by insurances. So the labs that we really need in some cases to work on that preventative health end are not covered by health insurance. Okay. And then like, do you have an idea like how much that will cost somebody? Because like a lot of people especially in communities of color, like they don't have the resources to even think about getting a lab. So do you have an idea of how much that would cost? And if they cannot get labs done, how can they start to make simple changes in their life to move towards a more holistic nutritional lifestyle? Yeah, the price. So the price is, it could range. I've seen like some online labs, like at like on like Amazon or something that you could order. And that could be like 100. And then it could, I think if you go into like LabCorp, it could be up to like 250. And then if you maybe want some super expensive, it may go higher. Okay. So what I know, it's around $200 okay. to be able to get some of those lab panels done. Okay. Okay. And then for those who don't have the ability to pay for those and want to invest their money elsewhere, which makes complete sense, I recommend following a really balanced diet. Like that's what's going to be the way to stay on the preventative end when it comes to making sure that your labs are in check, as well as taking supplements. Like though in and having an idea of where you need need to like fill in those gaps. For instance, like I always use this example, like a lot of people don't drink milk anymore. Like almond milk is the thing. Oat milk is the thing. And they do have some vitamins and minerals in there. But milk has two great things, which is vitamin D and calcium. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are having bone issues, muscle issues as they age. 
because after a certain age, one, you stop storing it and your body just kind of uses it out. So what I recommend to people is that they take those supplements on the side, the vitamin um, D and that calcium, and by themselves, not as a multivitamin, take a single calcium pill by itself. Okay. It's going to be really effective or a vitamin D pill alone with food. So one thing that you mentioned was the almond milk and the oat milk. And also, too, and tell me if I'm wrong about this. When you're deciding to go almond milk or oat milk, read what you're putting in your body as well, because I think a lot of times you think you're putting pure almond milk in your body, but there's other chemicals that are going in there, too, to keep it shelf worthy. So yeah. am I right or wrong about that? Yeah, I would completely agree because, I mean, almond milk can stay on the shelf for a really long time. It's like three years. <laughs> it's crazy. And then even after you open it, it still lasts. They they say like 10 days or less, but people use almond milk for a really long time because like you said, like all those chemicals in there, those preservatives that are preserving the almond milk. And then on the oat milk end, I know oat milk has a little bit more sugar in there. So just because it's per se like from a nut or a whole grain doesn't actually mean you should be drinking it all of the time. Okay, that's good. And so, so basically, labs are going to cost between we're we're, we're just uh, estimating between a hundred to almost a thousand, depending on what type of lab work that you want. Um, and yes. then you can also outsource that is what you're saying. And then if you um, don't have the resources to do that, you're saying to start with a balanced diet. Quickly, what is a balanced diet? And then we're going to move right into our relationship with food. So what would be a balanced diet? Like a quick summary. So a balanced diet, one looks different for everybody. So I said that and I'm like, yes, balanced sounds good. And everything in moderation sounds fun and sexy, but it's going to look different for where you are in your life. So the standard thing, of course, is my plate. And we want to think fruits, vegetables, grains, dairy, and protein. So those are the five food groups that we really want to focus on when it comes to eating. However, say if you're an athlete, your protein intake is going to go up. Say if you're aging and you're moving into like your 40s or 50s, maybe you want to fast some of the, t some of the time. There's a lot of studies that show fasting really has some benefits on balance. Okay. Say that, you know, you are being really sedentary lately, like you're not moving your body too much, or you're, you have a high risk of diabetes in your family, half of your plate should be vegetables, and those grains and those fruits should be eaten together. So a balanced diet is going to look different on everybody, but it's really, really important for people to be mindful about what they're taking in and how that makes them feel. And that goes into a more of a mindful eating mindset. That's how you know if you're balancedly eating based on how you feel. However, if you've been eating not the best diet, best practices when it comes to diet, not very balanced, your body may not notice it. So you have to start with my plate and then kind of go from there and then decide like, okay, my body really likes more fats. My body likes more protein. My body likes more carbs. Everybody's different. And then but starting with my plate, then kind of going with there. And then, of course, a nutritionist could really, really help guide you in that right direction. I like that. And we're going to, uh, after the show, we're going to have, I have show notes on my website. And you guys can go on there. We'll have my plate and some suggestions for food. 
but it's a great, great start because it gives you a, a general idea of what's going to work for you. And then and then I'm going to just keep adding stuff in here. And you tell me if I'm wrong, Alexandra, but I, we talked about this in the stress episode. When you're trying to figure out like what's working for you and what's not working for you, get on my plate, start taking Alexandra's suggestions and then write a journal about how you're eating in the next week or two weeks or even a month. And then you're going to see a pattern and you're going to see, you know, what maybe like maybe this vegetable makes me gassy and maybe this meat doesn't digest very well. And you'll start figuring out what's working for you if you don't have the resources to go to a nutritionist or a dietitian or a doctor. So those are just suggestions as a coach that I'm giving you. And and then we'll have all this on the website as well. So the next thing I want to talk about is our relationship with food. And I haven't heard, you know, that that phrase in a while. So I want you to talk about people's relationship with food. What does that mean? And and then talk about like, you know, when I'm worried or stressed, there's particular I know for me, like when I'm worried or stressed, I know what food I reach for. Like I know what bag of chips I go for, how much chocolate I, I intake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's when I'm a little stressed. But like when I'm feeling good about myself and I'm working out and everything's consistent, you know. That's when I'm, you know, eating right, got the vegetables, the carbs, the protein. So talk about the relationship that people have with food. Yeah. The relationship with food is one of the longest, is the longest relationship that you'll have. So you'll get a little boyfriend, he'll come and go, (laughs) you know. Your kids will start in the house and then eventually they'll leave. But that relationship with food stays with you and you're eating one to five times a day, which is crazy. And all of these food choices that we have are coming from our past. So what our parents were eating, it comes to our current moment. Maybe we saw a commercial literally 10 minutes ago and that makes us crave something. So we have, and then choices that we want to make in the future, we have to set goals that are super intentional. Therefore, we're eating the things that are more balanced and fitting to our bodies. So that relationship with food is so layered and also things that affect it are things like our socioeconomic status, right? So our income level is going to decide what we eat. So if I make a billion dollars a year, you know, I'm going to own a farm and eat my own cows. Like that's where I'm going to go. I'm going to have some, some like really fresh meat as opposed to say, if you don't and you just go get it from the grocery store, your meat quality is going to be a little different. Or if you have a machine to make fresh almond milk, you don't have to worry about those preservatives. So our relationship with food is very layered, but we do have flexibility within it. So despite our income level, I truly believe that we do have control over some of our choices that we make. It's just about really educating ourselves and being mindful of what our environment is telling us and then also things that trigger us when it comes to taking in food. Like you said, like, you know, if you're stressed, you there's going to be a snack that you get. And the thing is, there's nothing wrong with having, you know, chocolate or Cheetos, whatever that snack is, but it's about how much that you're going to take in. And also back to the holistic piece, why are you stressed? What can we do to possibly prevent that stress from like even occurring is this good stress are these good problems so it it really connects all together when it comes to our relationship with food and that's that holistic piece right there so yeah 
So my next question to you is, by the, by the way, it, it's Lay's Potato Chips barbecue style. But anyway, okay. <laughs> anyway, with your expertise and clients, what relationship do most people have by the time they reach, by the, by the time they reach out to come to you? So the clients I see lately, it's really interesting because I, there's, how do I explain it? Like there is someone that refers them to me and this third, and this person will pay me. So I'm working with a personal trainer right now and he sends his clients to me, but his clients don't pay me. The personal trainer does. So that conversation looks a little different than somebody that seeks out an actual dietitian. So someone that really seeks out a dietitian, their level may be a little different than someone whose personal trainer is like, hey, this is a part of your package. You're going. So it's going to look different. But even and, and, and then even in some cases, it could look the same. But it all is about like the stages of change. So we have our stages of change. We have pre-contemplation. So people that are, you know, not really thinking about eating healthy, but it's something that's kind of come to mind. Contemplation, like they're actually thinking about it. Like, man, maybe I should make a lifestyle change. And then you have people that are like ready to go. Like, this is what I want to do right now because I know these choices can significantly improve my life. So in regards to where people are at right now, yeah. So the best way to explain it is I'm kind of summing up somewhat, like I'm taking different pieces from a person and kind of putting them together. So I've had clients that say have diabetes, high cholesterol, therefore their hemoglobin A1C is up. And then when you have that hemoglobin A1C is up, your body's stressed. Your body is inflamed. Also, because your body's inflamed, you're more likely to feel like chronic pain if you walk, if you're exercising. And then also, too, this person is, in some cases, higher in weight. Like, they're considered obese based on, like, their BMI. They enjoy walking. But again, back to that chronic pain, if you don't feel good when you walk, that's the point of walking is to feel good. So if you don't feel good when you walk, you're not going to walk as much. Even though this person does enjoy being outside and outdoors. And so when we're connecting and they're telling me all these things about what they're going through, it's, it's sometimes we have to take a step back. People just want to jump in. What do I eat? People always say, what do I eat? And I'm like, okay, like, let's calm down. We just really need to talk and let me understand like more about you. Cause that would be terrible of me just to assume that you like to eat what I eat. That, that doesn't make any sense. Like you just said, you like hot barbecue, something, something. And I'm a very simple person. Like I just like a good little laid potato chip. Too much complication just isn't me. So I can't really provide a diagnosis or a recommendation until I truly get to know you. So that comes back to the whole psychological point is when I'm talking to people, I really like to talk about their, their triggers, what stresses them out, and ultimately how we can set goals and strategies that leads people to freedom. So what I call it are, I call it ISM. So what is your intention? So somebody's intention could be, I want to lose weight. And then I could say, okay, strategies to losing weight could look like this, but what does it look like to you? And then ultimately F is freedom. So once we set your intention, we set your, the strategy that you want to do, then we look at freedom. So freedom is, man, that means I can go on more walks. That means I can hike Mount Everest. That means I can do things with my children. I can just feel better overall. So 
we start really small on those ISF goals and then we kind of move into there. And what is going to inspire people when they're by themselves to do those food journals to come back to me is that freedom point of view. What does freedom look like to you? And I think that's one thing that has been unfortunately not been given to people of color in this country as easy as it been as it has been to other people is freedom. And that's why I think sometimes with our food choices, we feel really strict. We it is strict because of um health disparities and things, but we have more freedom in that area than we do realize. However, in other social, economic, mental, and spiritual ways, our freedom has been locked. And so we have to find areas where we can really tap into it so then we can really truly tap into those dietary lifestyles that allow us to move better, think clearer, be more more spiritually in tune. That's fantastic because I, I don't think that people realize that when, you know, we're having all this these issues with our health insurance, it you know, throughout our country right now, and they don't understand that when you are restricting health insurance from a, a certain group of people, whether they're poor, whether they're, you know, African-American or Hispanic or just a minority in this country, you're, you're restricting them from their freedoms. And so when you're out there yeah. working out and you're running and you're doing your, your thing, I always tell people, you have to be very uh, grateful for where you are if you can move and you can do these things, because it is a privilege if you, you know, have a job, you have health insurance, you can go to a doctor, you can go to a dietitian. But those are privileges that a lot of people don't have. And so that's why I have you on here. So I'm going to go back really quick and I'm going to ask you, what does that acronym ISF stand for again? Intention, strategy, and freedom. I love it. I absolutely love it. So that, everything that you just said, let's move into food culture and what food culture is, because I think you already touched on it, because I think the relationship with food and food culture go hand in hand. So to you, as a dietitian, what is food culture? So food culture is social, economic, and environmental factors that influence our food choices. So everything around us, again, back to our past, things that have influenced our family members, thereby influencing us, and where our social place movement or the way we think socially in life affects our food choices and our food decisions. So going even deeper, it's like, so the traditions that we have with our families, our belief systems about how we interact with the world around us, ultimately decide how we prepare food, how we what, what, where we shop. So do we prefer grocery stores? Do we prefer farmer's markets? Do we prefer online? Are we tech savvy? Are we not tech savvy? So all of those things influence our food culture. And, and let me give you a quick example of that for everyone out there listening. So for instance, like I know that I have relatives over a certain age and all they know is how their mother used to cook. cook. And so when you're trying to introduce new ways of cooking and, uh, eating a little bit healthier, they don't see the correlation between food and what's happening to them. And so mm -hmm. if you're used to, you know, and this is, 
an extreme example, okay? But if you're used to the lard and if you're used to, you know, frying everything, that's all that you know. There was a special I was watching and they were talking about food disparities and and it with minorities and, you know, poor people and just people in general, actually. And this lady was like cooking up. It looked amazing, though. She was cooking up an amazing meal and it was so soul food, but she didn't know any other alternative on how to mm. cook. So everything was fried. They they were still using Cresco, you know, so it's just like these things are very hard for people to to change if this is all that they know so food culture is very interesting topic to me because i know in my family there are people who like they only know one way of eating this is the way i've been doing it it doesn't have anything to do with my diabetes and this and that whatever but it's like but you can see that that's what that is so i want you to talk a little bit a little bit more about that and some health outcomes in communities of color what may come into play with food choices and then what are companies, what are the responsibilities of companies in, in food availability? So like you mentioned, things like how does diabetes correlate to how I'm feeling right now or what I'm eating correlate to diabetes? So I know a lot of statistics about African-Americans and we, I'm going to kind of go off the topic of food a little bit, but it's all connected. So African-Americans are making 30,000 less yearly than, say, someone who's Caucasian in the United States. African-Americans are four, five times more likely to be incarcerated. And then infant mortality is two times the rate in African-Americans in the DMV area, especially compared to other groups of people. And African-Americans are more likely to have heart disease, diabetes, and stroke and pass away from those diseases. And African-Americans or likely to die six years earlier than, say, someone who is Caucasian. All of those things are completely relevant to food culture and how you see yourself in the world, unfortunately. But, but the thing, the good side of this is that with us knowing this, we have a lot of power to still make good food choices or better, let me say quality food choices, instead of giving out the word good and bad. We want to have food quality in a quality relationship with food overall. So despite these daunting statistics that are sometimes really heavy, we still have to, as people, despite your race or religion, is to take accountability for yourself, your family, and your community so we can all build up and work together. One thing I think is interesting in the U.S. and in other countries, but I know about the U.S. because I'm here, is that in, in cases in the past, I know it was just Martin Luther King Day, but Martin Luther King Jr. did a really good job at bringing people together. It's like, hey, you're dealing with this. Hispanics are dealing with this. Black people are dealing with this. Some white people are dealing with something similar. Let's all work together and address this issue. We sometimes have this mindset that, only we're dealing with this and we have to do something about it. And it's just about us. But it's like when we really come together and have that collective thinking as people in general, we will get way further. It's as opposed to just thinking about, you know, I think when we get caught up either just in us, just personally, and not thinking about everyone, I think sometimes we hold ourselves back. So same thing with food choices and food decisions. It's when we make a food choice 
even if I'm at dinner and I'm making a good food choice for myself, that influences everybody else around me to make a quality food choice. So it all works together. And then when people start to love on themselves, that shows and other people start to love on themselves too. So I, I, that, that's back to the holistic part. That's that emotional portion and spirituality portion for other people too. It's how they connect with food. And another question you asked me is about companies that are responsible for food availability. So when we think about food availability, we think about production, we think about distribution, and we think about the selling of food, which so many hands are in that pot, which is crazy. It's like so many people are influencing that. But what I would say is first the government, so local, federal, state government, creates a lot of policies that influence our farmers, influence the way we sell food. I, I, a lot of you may notice the, the plastic bags right now. You're not able to have a plastic bag and we're only able to have reusable because the government decided that we we're going to do that. Before, it was just a choice, right? So the thing is, now, in my mind, I'm like, the government can, can decide this. I feel like they should be deciding other things, too. If you guys have that much of an influence, especially because people and your constituents are saying that the people want this. FDA, we follow a lot of FDA protocols. But if you've looked into the FDA and seen videos about it, some things that are checked mark on the FDA list, and you look at, say, some European countries, they say don't eat it. So we are saying it's okay to eat it here, but they're saying it's not okay to eat over there. So that's to me is a question in itself. And it makes me want to like challenge what I'm hearing, even from my own government, which is the FDA in, the, in this case. So moving on from that, I want to go into like our farmers. So farm, the farming industry, I know back in, the, of course, the late 1800s and prior to that, but in the early 1900s, it was really booming. Way more people were living on farmland. A lot of people weren't living in the city, but now our farmlands have not only gotten smaller, but the percentage of farmers that farm have gotten smaller. And only 1% of farmers, maybe two, are Black. Representation does matter, right? Because if, you, if your culture is different, maybe you want to grow food a little differently. Or see, even if you, when you are Caucasian, maybe different two types of people like to grow food differently. And the government has been very restrictive on how people grow their food. Therefore, it looks the same. Everything that we're getting looks the same. So you walk into a grocery store. I'll give an analogy. You walk into a grocery store, you see an apple and it has a dent in it. You look at this apple, you go, this apple is no good. Like, how dare they put this apple on the shelf? You go to a farmer's market, it has a dent in it. It's a vibe. So it's like, what do we want? Do we want dents or no dents, you know? But I think that kind of connects when and when that connects just to our food experience and like food availability and really asking ourselves as consumers, what do we want? And also demanding that we want it is huge. So what we can do about it is when it comes to government and policy is that when we are voting and we're looking into who we want to vote for, is food on their agenda? Does that matter to them? Do they care? Because it matters. We need food, sleep, water, and a roof over our head. So those things need to be somewhat thought about by people in the government what are you thinking no i no i I hear everything that you're saying and i and i totally agree with you i think that you know we have to be aware of what's in our grocery stores we have to be aware of what's going on in our environment and why and then we need to find out who 
who is responsible for what's happening in these areas of our lives. And so you're talking to someone who believes in voting, believes in reading everything that you're putting in your body. So like that's reading the labels and understanding what you're doing, because a lot of times, too, you know, we get. You know, the way our food, our food culture is changing is through also social media. And so we're right. seeing people like eating certain things and drinking certain things. But are we really doing the homework on it? And so I'm not and I'm not knocking anyone who is an online nutritionist on social media. I, I obviously I follow you and I follow maybe two or three others, but I really pay attention to what they're eating in front of everyone, how they're eating it and what they're putting into it. And then I do my own research. I get on on the Internet and I just start like Googling things, asking my doctor, asking people like you experts who can tell me, yeah, but this that, and the other. The whole thing with the almond milk, like I have a friend who's also a dietitian and nutritionist in San Diego. And she's like, have you ever read the label for for that almond milk that you keep talking about and bragging about, you know? And I was just trying to stop gas from happening. So <laughs> I drink regular milk. But then once I started reading it and seeing all the chemicals that were added into it, I did go back to, OK, let me go back to milk that's lactose free. And I change I made that change in my diet and I've and it's it's improved my health tremendously so I do agree with what you're saying I do believe that we have to look into what we're putting in our mouths in so many ways all the ways that you mentioned um for instance say you buy basil at the store you buy soil you buy pot and then you're able to grow basil in your home and you're able to pick that basil up pick it off when it's ready and or cut it and put that on your pizza. To me, that is someone who is connected to their food in some way. You know, where you got it, you can read the, the place that the actual seed is from. You were able to grow it, tend to it, nurture it, and then you're able to consume it. And it wasn't wasted. And it all ties together for the food culture um, points is that you understood every single step in that food process for you and why you made that food choice. And ultimately, it feels more empowering. I know you've probably grown food and eaten it. It's more empowering when you actually eat something that you've grown yourself. Okay. Okay, Ms. Brown. <laughs> so I have two jobs. I have three kids. I got I got a husband. I got this. I got that. So, okay, I need to figure out a better way to have a relationship with food. So what is what would that mean? Because I don't have time to plant a seed and watch it grow. So, you know, give me another example. <laughs> I'm playing devil's advocate. And not women out there who are literally saying that. Like, yes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> so so that's that's perfectly fine. Cause yeah. I can understand all the food in my fridge and freezer that I've consumed in the last 24 hours has not been grown by me whatsoever. <laughs> So what you can do is when you are navigating the farmer's market or the grocery store, things like reading your food labels is going to be really important. Mm -hmm. So looking at those ingredients, looking at who it's produced by, right? Mm -hmm. Where it is, where the root of it like comes from. Like for instance, your, your fish, it comes from this sea. It's it's like actually fed in the sea or it's farm-raised. So understanding that, do you prefer farm-raised fish or do you prefer 
wild caught fish. So understanding the actual root of your food when you're in the grocery store. So just researching on the back end. So what I would say is you could start with is don't really change anything. Just do what you do and be mindful. So I'm buying these type of foods and just start reading the nutrition label of your food. When you go to the farmer's market, asking really good questions. Mm -hmm. What does organic mean to you? Organic, you still use pesticides in organic foods. A lot of people don't know. You still use pesticides. But the thing is, it's like, okay, what type of pesticides are you using? How much are you using? Because the thing about pesticides is it gets rid of of mold and all those other things that you don't want, like, in your food that may possibly, like, harm your food when it is growing. So it's not per se a bad thing, but is it a bad thing to you, you know? Like, what is your story when it comes to food? And, again, asking questions. I always tell people I love asking questions because it gets, it educates you. And if people have those answers, the things people just don't ask, so they don't have to answer them. And just to, and- just to add on to what you're talking about is that all the moms out there and the women who don't have kids, but you're busy and you're listening to this podcast, I'm going to I'm going to push you a little bit because it is going to take work to have a holistic nutritional lifestyle. That's the first thing. It's going to yeah. take work when you go into the grocery store and you're trying to figure everything out. So what I suggest, like I suggest with everything, you take a week, you take a day where you're going in there, you're learning about what's going to work for you, what's not going to work for you. Because in a month's time, you're going to know what you want, what you don't want. And next thing you know, you're in the grocery store, boop, bop, bop, beep, beep, and you're throwing yeah. it in a basket and you're good. You're good to go. Yeah. And I had to do the work. When my kid, girls were very young, I decided I wanted them to eat healthy and I wanted to make sure that they were taken care of from the inside out. And so I learned what worked for both my girls and my family. And so when I would go to the grocery store, I, and I still do it today, I'm not in there no longer than 20 minutes because I know exactly what I'm going to grab and I keep going. So you have to do the work. And I know, like I said, you're busy and da, 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 da. take a little time off to learn your grocery store, learn what works for you and your family, read the labels, and then start making that list. And we're going to have a list that's going to be connected to the website as well that you can go to and have a resource to check what what we have to do is make a grocery list and meal plan is really huge but like you said it takes work to be able to do that and the thing for people of color one thing i'm trying to navigate and i'm going to be writing an article about this soon okay is and about privilege is do people of color have the privilege to be able to technically mindfully eat because it's something we keep saying and it's something we keep pushing. But at what point in time or what space is it challenging for us to figure out how to mindfully eat? Because we're saying this, yet people have a lot of resistance. So the thing is, we have to recognize there is resistance. It's not just stress. There are so many things over time that, that we have to overcome every day, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, that are parents have faced that our grandparents face that we face and that our kids will face so it's going like nicole you said it really well it's going to take a lot of work to be able to do this but you got it you can do it and if you ever need support you can always do for instance i do discovery calls they're they're completely for free and we can just talk for a little bit of time and really just go into it and talk about your needs and and other resources that we do for you, but I think you laid it out really well. I love that. So do you have five things that 
you can, that you want people to take away from this this podcast? Yes, five takeaways are super important. Just so you, everybody, grab your pens and write this down, or put it in the notes in, in your phone. So my first takeaway is to really get started with nutrition, holistic nutrition. Is to start with my plate. My plate is a great guide, so you can prioritize nutrients that are healing for your body. Mm-hmm. My second tip is to be aware of your relationship with food. So thinking about your parents' relationship with food, how you saw food as a kid, and how maybe you're presenting your food, the relationship with food to your children. What are you telling them about food? And what are areas that you can improve on there? My third takeaway is to really understand why we eat the way we eat. So grocery stores, what is the food available to you at the grocery store, at the farmer's market or online, and how that is influencing the choices that you do make? And then my fourth tip or takeaway is for you to schedule a discovery call with myself. I do a free discovery call with everyone. So we just really have a chance to set a simple goal for you to get started. Also, health insurances do cover for nutritionists. So I'm starting to take health insurance really soon. And if you ask your doctor, hey, like, do we cover, do do you have a nutritionist that you work with that I can also work with? Then your doctor can provide you with that information or you can call your insurance company and they can let you know some nutritionists that are covered by your insurance. And then my last takeaway is that this is a lot of information, but I want all to take small steps towards working to your goal. And that can be done by having a, a journal completely dedicated to wellness. And when you are doing this journal, please have a grace on yourself. Think about all of the things in life that have made you successful, that make you feel good. And from there, think about how I can level up. What are practices and beliefs that I need to take on so I can become better for myself and for my family? So those are my five takeaways. I love it. I I absolutely love it. And and I'm going to go back to what you said before. She's like a nutritional therapist. I really like that term because I think we need to have a better relationship with our food. I also believe that, you know, this is just like any goal that you set. So your goals have to be smart. And you know I love acronyms. They have to be specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and it has to have a timestamp on it. So make sure that when you're, when you're setting these nutritional goals, you set yourself up for success. Alexandria, I'm so happy that you were on my podcast. I hope that we have you back because I want to learn more about food culture and the relationship that we have with our food. So thank you so much. And I hope to see you soon. Thank you all so much and have a blessed day. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is meant for both education and entertainment purposes only. I am not a licensed therapist, so it's crucial to consult with physicians, psychotherapists, or qualified health professionals for personalized advice. Until next time, take care. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would like to ask you to please subscribe, like, and share. That's what they told me to do at the end of this podcast. So could you hook me up? Thanks. Bye.